0: Well, hey, welcome back to the Making Disciples Every Day podcast. I'm Jason Dukes on team with Brentwood Baptist, and my colleague and friend, Dr. Paul Wilkinson, Good is with here. us. Good to be here. And I'm excited because this is episode, or part B, we'll say, <laughs> part B of uh, of this past week's podcast on racial unity, racial reconciliation, race relations, probably is a better way to say it, and... um uh, and so I'm really thankful that Coach Clayton is with us again. Yeah, for So sure. if you want to hear more about his intro, go back and listen to last week's podcast. But, uh, but real quickly, though, uh, uh, he briefly just tell, us, tell our listeners again where you're from and what you're up to now, apart from being a great granddad.
1: Well, I'm from Mount Dora, Florida, mm-hmm. which is about 25 or 30 miles north of Orlando. Grew up, of course, in a predominantly black community. Uh, I am now vice president for Nations of Coaches. Awesome. And we are a ministry to college basketball. Uh, and I was a college basketball coach for 39 years. Yep. Uh, we did move here because of our grandchildren. Uh, and we have three, um, ages 14, 10, and 6, awesome. if I remember correctly. Very um, cool. Really good to be in Nashville. We used to live here from when I coached at Vanderbilt. Cool. Um, and so we came to town, started looking for a church, uh, believed that God was sending us here to Brentwood Baptist. And so here we are uh, trying to be faithful members and, and hopefully make a difference in the kingdom.
0: I love it. I love it. And I'll give a shout out to the small group that you're a part of. He, you you teach it sometimes, and it's in the 930 hour, right, on the Brentwood campus. Is that right?
2: Yes. Nine o'clock uh, now, te- technically second hour. My bad, my bad. <laughs> Are okay. not so small, small group. It's not so small, small group. Not so small, small group. But they got good right. care group communities built in, and you guys love one another, well, even though it's a big, big meeting. It is a large but good problem. Bible teaching, good community. Come on.
0: <laughs> that's good stuff. So if you want to know, know more about that, ask. Or email me or Paul. We'll give you the email address at the end. We'll try to connect you there. So so last week we talked we kind of really if we're honest we gave an an intro and and just a taste a tease almost of of the idea of why racial reconciliation, race relations, racial unity, why does it even matter, right? Like that's kind of where we focused last week on the theological perspective, the biblical narrative, the idea that God really is trying to build um together from every tribe, tongue, and nation, his dwelling, his people, his family, right? That John writes about it in 1 John 3, that how great a love that he's lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And and you see, as you pointed out last week, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, you see in the biblical narrative that being one family together matters to God. And so I think we didn't get into it exhaustively but but but, I want to take a step forward then this this time on this episode, and just dive into maybe some of the uncomfortable questions that we would have to flesh out if we got serious about on earth as it is in heaven, right, because if that's the biblical narrative, then even when Jesus prays on earth as it is in heaven, he's praying for what the Father's heart and desire is and and so let's let's go let's dive in this episode maybe some of those uncomfortable questions so the first one I'll throw out to you is so 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 this this can become this effort of racial reconciliation. It can become a project, and then people feel like it's a project and and whether it, doesn't matter what your the color of your skin is in the long run it ends up but not being much more than a project like how do we how do we move past that and and start becoming family together
1: well the first thing i would do is ask another question that's good you know we say that this becomes like a project and when you say that the first thing that crossed my mind is is living out my faith a project
0: Mm. good question
1: do I think of it as a project Yeah. or do I think of it as a means to glorify God? because mm. uh, I live out my faith and I bear testimony of the work that God has done in me mm. so that the world can see that. Is that a project? That's what I'm doing when I'm involved in racial reconciliation. I'm loving my neighbor is mm. I'm living out my faith. That's right. So, If someone says to me, it's a project, and they really believe that, then I would say, well, all of life is a project. This is just one more. That's good.
2: And I think it was one of the key ideas you brought up last week was that it's core to us claiming that we love Jesus. That's right. If, If we're not loving the people we see around us in our community, friends, neighbors, coworkers, how then can we love the one who we have yet to see in Christ?
1: Paul, that's so true, and well, you said it, so it's good. <laughs> the Holy Spirit inspired it first, so even better. <laughs> well, I, I had an experience this week that took me to the other side, mm-hmm. if you will. And that experience was looking at some things in Revelation, not where we've been looking, but looking at after the tabernacle of God starts to dwell with man.
3: Mm-hmm
1: and after we see the new Jerusalem. And I was reading and it said, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye. Hmm. And it tells us that there'll be no more pain and no more suffering. And you know the thought I had? All the injustices that you experienced here, Hmm. even as a black person, will be done away with. And so what you do here, is you just endure. Hmm. You don't have to be happy. You don't have to like it. You can try to help make a difference. But what you know is that all things will be made new. Hmm. That's right. Even our attitudes and our love one for another. <laughs> and man, I got excited. Because what it tells me to do here is to, you just keep fighting the good fight. Hmm. You know. yep. And you may not see all the results that you want to see now, but if your faith is what it should be, and you know that God does what he says he will do, and that God will make all things new. So there is some comfort and peace and enthusiasm and excitement in knowing that it's going to happen.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, The uh, I love that. I, I mean, that's that's preaching that gospel story to yourself. I mean, you're reminding yourself over and over again, this is what's to come. This is what we are longing for. And the very thing we're longing for, we endure by faith, and we see it, and, and you know, that, I'm mean, as you were talking, uh, so I grew up in New Orleans, I think I told you that last week, and the school I was a uh, part of um, had a lot of, uh, of black influence, and um, so one choir year, one year in choir for school, we, we ended up singing the, the old Negro spiritual Elijah Rock, Shout Shout. Right for our one of our choir songs, and and even just listening to the words of that song, right? It's it's that reminder of better days that there there is a day when that stuff, the pain, goes away. I mean, but let, and let so let's be realist about it, right? Because you're right; it isn't a project. It's just living out from our identity in Christ. Let's be realist about it, though. You said, how can we say we love God that we don't see? but we love when we don't love our brother that we can see, as John wrote. Um, let's be realist about it, though. Culturally, there's a lot of barriers that hinder us from even seeing our brothers and our sisters that maybe don't have the same skin tone that we do. Like So it's if we move past the it's a project and we begin to realize it's living out our faith— now here are these cultural barriers that we have to over that we have to try to navigate through. How do we do that? You know, maybe the first question is, what are some of those cultural barriers so that we can be mindful of it? And then secondly, how do we navigate so that we can see move toward that on earth as it is in heaven?
1: Before I speak to that, let me say what was going through my mind as you were speaking. Hmm. It's a lifestyle.
3: Hmm. Yeah.
1: That's how simple it is. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. And as I try to live out a lifestyle, I'm always confronted with opposition. Hmm. You call them barriers. Yeah. The opposition come from without, but some of the oppositions come from within. Yeah. But what we know is that there will always be opposition. Why? Because sin is crouching at the door. Hmm. That's right. So there's always going to be those. <clears throat> Some are by people who don't understand who you are or what you're all about. But many times, Jason, it's by people who already have a predetermined um, agenda. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so what you're doing doesn't help their agenda. That's right. And so they're going to speak against what you're doing to try to, even if subtly, promote their agenda. Hmm. And so it becomes very difficult. And we are influenced by those people. Some of those people are close to us that we think we can trust. Yeah. But we haven't recognized that what they're doing is self-serving. hmm and some of them that are people that we don't know, so we don't trust hmm. yeah, and so it becomes very complicated for us. Um, but the the agendas or the barriers, if you will, will always be an issue. yeah, so our agenda must be stronger than theirs, hmm. and our agenda uh, should afford us a chance to be successful. Because, from a scriptural standpoint, it says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Mm. I not only have an agenda, but I have one who is more than capable of helping me to complete that agenda. Yeah. You know, so I should be moving forward with a lot of confidence. It's good. Uh, but unfortunately, when the agenda is not the same that Christ has allowed us to become a part of, that agenda does not have the necessary uh, capability to come to completion. It's
0: good. It's good. I mean, it, it, what I hear you saying is, we we can, let, let, like going back even to the project, I, the, that this becoming a project, we can have an agenda that says, we wanna start a movement that creates re- racial reconciliation. And even that can be misguided because what we really need to be saying is we just want to get in on Jesus's movement, right? Like it's, you know, his movement is the one worth joining. And so when that becomes our agenda, maybe that unity is possible.
1: I don't think there's any question about that because, um, he has all the answers. Hmm. You know, one of the neat things about the omniscience of God is the omnipotence of God. Hmm. It's one thing to be all wise, it's another thing to be all powerful so that I have the ability yep. to do that, which I think is wise.
0: Mm, that's good.
1: We're, we're running around trying to get some things done that we really don't have the ability to get done. Yeah. So we're, we're fighting a losing battle from the very beginning. Mm. Um, it's really difficult when you have been trained all of your life to see things a certain way. And then it's like being blind and then all of a sudden you can see and you go outside and the first thing that happened is you're blinded again by all the light. Hmm. And now you've got to adjust to the light. Wow. I think that's what's happening sometimes in the white community when individuals finally come to the realization that some of the things I've been taught before are just not right. Hmm. And they're not for me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, i've just i just had a couple of conversations recently, and i just had happen in in a week something that in 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 one week I've had more people tell me that they grew up in a racial in a in a prejudiced environment. Hmm. I've had more people tell me that in a week than i've had tell me in all the rest of my lifetime wow when i'm sixty eight years old wow wow.
0: I mean, and that, you're hitting on it, like the, that's the cultural barrier, right? Like, it, it, it is from within. It's a whole lot more from within than it's from without. You know, the, the just, we we don't have the kinds of rhythms. We don't have the levels of ownership. We don't have the intersected paths that allow for, some of these, we, all, we really do have to desire to see the family of God here and go after that with Jesus. We, in other words, we will not passively arrive at this. We have to increase our mindfulness toward it. Um, if that barrier, if those barriers are really from within, the opposition, is from within, how would you encourage our listeners to battle that, to push back against that opposition?
1: Prayerfully, and I don't just say that to say it, because what what happened to me this week, even though I knew it, I think it became more real to me, the struggle that an individual has when it's time to turn his back on the people he's trusted all of his life Hmm. and the things that he's been taught all of his life. Yeah. How do you just, how do you just instantly turn your back on that? Yeah. It's hard to do. And even when you're trying, I think there are times when you have to go back and have that conversation. But, but this is what I've always believed. This is what I was always taught. And now think about what it does when you have to verbalize that what I've been taught and what I've been preached by my dad or my granddad and people who have been very important in my life was wrong. Hmm. Because when I start to deny that, I'm also at some level denying them. Hmm. That's a very difficult thing. No doubt. Big shift. And I'm not saying that to make an excuse. Yeah, I'm just saying realistically, that's a big thing. You know, it's like, it's like someone coming from a completely different faith. And deciding I'm moving from Judaism to Christianity, hmm. I'm moving from Islam to Christianity, to Hindu, whatever. Many times when people do that, they lose the people dearest to them. Yeah. I think at some level that's what happens. Yeah. In in this area of, of racial reconciliation and, and now developing relationships with people who in the past you've always been told you should not have a relationship with. And Not only that, you come into the relationship blind. As someone said to me, I was not reared around black people. Hmm. I didn't really know black people. I didn't know what was important to them or how they think. And because I was taught that they're not the same, it's almost like saying, well, I can't trust what I know about people in general to apply to them because they're not like people in general. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, to it me, does. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. but that's 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 what I received this week from a couple of conversations I had. Yeah, as I just stopped and started. Man, is this what they're really saying? And I think it is.
2: And it's really significant because the, the categories are real basic that you have set forth: internal versus external pressures. And the external we can't control in a lot of ways. We fight them, we endure, and we fight the good fight, like you said earlier. But the inward wins in theory, that's what I have control over mm-hmm. uh, with respect to my submission to the Spirit. So it really does, in a lot of ways, just start there. It's still hard, but it starts there.
1: So the question is, who would come alongside of me mm-hmm. and, and encourage me to do what's Yeah. Even though the Spirit is speaking to me, who's going to walk alongside of me and say, man, let's just do this together?
0: Well, and I think I would say historically. So, because I was gonna, as I was thinking, as you were, as you finished that statement, it kind of prompted me to think. You know, in the current culture, it is you know X Y. It is this way. Really, though, it's just been this way historically, right? Like, it's not that it's just new. I think we can say that historically, there the what makes it even more complex is that the opposition often comes from where you don't expect it. Yeah. Right? Like you, you know, you mentioned it before we started, before we jumped on the ep- recording, you mentioned that when integration occurred and you you went to the white high school, all of a sudden you found that that you had friends that you thought were brothers that were now saying to you, well, you just want to be with them and you you had others on the other side in that white school and i don't mean to say other side i just mean in that in the conflict of the two you had th- those at the white school saying we don't want you here either right like you talk about how you felt in that moment cuz and i want to relate that to maybe how if you truly venture out to see and cultivate for the family of god you're likely going to have opposition from all sides right like talk about how you felt in that moment.
2: And I think if I recall, you said you were in the first year of Florida integration, you were
1: one of the first to move schools. I was. And it's interesting how I felt overall was good. But I think what's important is why I felt good. Hmm. Now, I was not a Christian at that time. Yeah. But I felt good because my family did the things that were necessary to let me know that they were in total support of what I was doing and that what I was doing would be better for me in the long run. Hmm. And so even though I had the opposition on both sides when I went home I had a foundation yeah. that kept me centered. That's good. And so I ended up being <laughs> I I ended up being like my mom. They can say what they want to say, here's what's best. Here's what I need to do. And I trust my mom and my dad. Hmm. And so I'm going forward. Yeah. And I may not see the results immediately, but just trust them. Yeah. And, and that's what made me say what I said a few minutes ago, that if those same people are feeding to you that which is negative and you're hmm. trusting in them, then that's the direction you're probably going to go. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good.
0: Yeah, because I know in my own experiences, uh, I told you this last week, Um, On the last week's episode, like I, growing up in New Orleans and my dad and our family being part of a mostly black church, I go to Union University and the church experiences I had there were very different than what I experienced in in New Orleans. No offense to Union, I love Union. Um, And then when I ended up becoming a student pastor, I, I, again, here's ignorant Jason, right, with my past experiences. And when I interviewed for student pastor at this little country church, I didn't know that black people even lived in the area, if I'm honest, because I didn't see anyone when I went for the interview the two times I went over there. But two months into being there, all of a sudden, we had a a basketball gym, the church building did. And two months into being there, out of the blue, and I was told, I, I was told for the first time in 148 years, two black students walk into that gym and the gym hadn't been there that long, but the church building had been there. Some some presence of the church had been on that property for 148 years, never had a black person step into it until that moment. This was 1995. And within six weeks, there were six deacons that were saying that I should be fired. Thankfully, the pastor disagreed. <laughs> And, and fought back, and then this sweet little old lady that the polio vaccine didn't work on, she was the church secretary. I'm 19, all right, at the time. She calls me into her office and she says, uh, close the door, so I sit down. I'm thinking, she's always so sweet to me. I'm thinking, well, she goes, she's gonna encourage me. This is what she says. She says, when I was growing up, there were some people that opposed what we knew God was doing. My mom prayed for them to die. I'm praying for those six deacons to die. <laughs> <laughs>
3: reading, wow. reading some Davidic Psalms. Yeah. <laughs> yes. a-
0: absolutely true story. And within six months, four of them died and two left the church. Oh. And it rocked me in both good and bad ways, right? Because I didn't think they was. But, but what was beautiful was that ministry. We started a ministry um, that wasn't like a... It's, this is just a ministry of the blacks. We just started a Thursday night ministry that welcomed anyone who came that wanted to play basketball. Yeah. That lasted for 20 years at that church. That particular, it was called Bible and Ball is what we called it. Yeah. And, um, and so even in my own experiences, I, I, I saw, I didn't expect opposition to come from the church. But we need to be realistic enough to say, like you just said, it's been being preached don't relate. Like these types of things have been preached for years and years. So we're going to see opposition from places we never expected
1: it. And Jason, Paul, I believe that what we're seeing are the results of our secret sins. Hmm. And here's what I mean. Yeah. If you go back and study even Brentwood and where we are and how we got here. And I'm talking about the community now even more than I am a church, but I'm talking about the community. when I look at what happened and they used to, the terminology the sociologists gave it was white flight mm-hmm. as you saw Caucasians leaving the cities and going into the suburbs and starting schools, a lot of that was to get away from minorities mm-hmm. and when you saw the the rise of what we called as my Grandson would do Christian You know with the air quotes. With the air quotes. My my little six-year-old grandson, he's always going air quotes. Yeah. So we started what we call Christian schools. Mm. But the real issue there wasn't Christian schools. Mm. The real issue was to have a place to bring white kids to when they left the schools that were becoming integrated. Hmm. That's what was happening. Hmm. And so as you built those communities across the country, then you had more and more communities where there were no minorities in the community. Hmm. You had no neighbors. So what you did was you just made the Gulf wider. Sure. And because you made it wider, now it's harder to get across it. Yeah. Mm So that's what we're facing. Yep. We're facing some difficulties that were created by decisions we made 30 years ago. Yeah. And now we're trying to say, how do we correct that? Mm. And we find out that it's, it's difficult. Yep. Um, but one of the first things we have to do is admit our role hmm. in this whole problem. Yeah, And admit that, that there's a role that I played, maybe unknowingly. You know, but it was still, I still had some responsibility in creating the situation, Hmm. which means I also have responsibility in resolving it. Don't just abdicate that to someone else, but look and say, you know what? I played a part in this. Now let me do my part to try to correct it.
2: Yeah. And I think even passivity can reap culpability. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if we don't, didn't actively do something, being passive alone is, uh, can can warrant an indictment for sure you you mentioned it last week in particular about the men who discipled you um so one your basketball coach when you came to faith and then a, a older man in the church where you first were and you mentioned it uh earlier today as trust like the the depth of our relationships is going to be a function of the amount of tr- trust we have for one another no matter who it is uh whether it's as a staff member at a church and a congregant or a politician and a citizen or a policeman citizen, whomever its all a function of trust. What are some ways that one might go about building trust, um, with, you know, with atmospheres and scenarios with which you're not familiar at all. How do how do you, how do you
1: build that trust? And there was no one found to stand in the gap. Hmm. That's how you build trust. You stand in the gap. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, the gap can be wide, it can be narrow, but when you think about standing in the gap, you're thinking about someone who is willing to come into a situation uh and be involved and and say let me let let me help narrow this gap hmm. okay, and so I build trust when I'm willing to make myself vulnerable yeah see I build trust when I let you know that your welfare is as important as mine. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what we get early in Philippians. Yeah. He talks about that. That's what I experienced. That's what allowed me to trust my college coach and to trust Dr. Crouch because I could see that, and I didn't know the reason at the time, but I could see that for some reason there was a genuine interest in me Hmm. there was an interest in me growing there was an interest in me being better there was an interest in me reaching my potential and so what happens then is because I knew and could feel that there was no hidden agenda it gave me the freedom to trust them yeah Yeah. it wasn't a project it wasn't thank you (laughs) (laughs) and and that's what that's what really makes the difference yeah and I see it all the time even in my work with coaches and people I'm building relationships with, when they know that you are for them and that there's no hidden agenda, it, it's amazing how they open up to you.
3: Yeah.
1: And some of the conversation, you know, people don't make themselves vulnerable naturally. Right. Our natural tendency is to try to protect ourselves. Yeah. yeah. And and I think that's how you go about it, is you esteem others better than yourself. Yeah. It's interesting that works. It works yeah. all throughout life. All throughout and and wow. you you said it right there.
0: I mean the the even vulnerability someone has to have the courage to be vulnerable first. Right? I mean that and that typically it fosters more vulnerability. But but it's hard doing that. It's hard saying, "Well, I'm afraid, but I'm going to I'm going to set that fear aside. I'm going to actually admit that I'm afraid." And yet I'm going to seek to engage in something that is unfamiliar or it is uncomfortable or it's a new territory, you know, that I haven't seen. It would go against, like you said earlier, it would go against what I've been told and I would have to embark in a new direction.
1: And Jason, we see what we want to see. Hmm. And we hear what we want to hear. I'm amazed sometimes that if you talk to people about Dr. Martin Luther King, they only think that Martin Luther King was for racial injustice hmm. mm-hmm. because they don't know the whole story. Yeah. He was just as adamant about human injustice in yeah. general, Yeah, but he's known for the role that he played as far as racial inequality was concerned. Well, the thing that I always loved about him was if you if you take a good hard look at him, he was just about what's right biblically. Yeah. See, and and African Americans, Black Americans, we call so many different things. I probably the only group of people in the world that's got more names. <laughs> Carter's got liver pills. You know, I think man, <laughs> I, how many names do we have? I, I don't even know what to call myself sometimes, um, but. When I look at what he did, he did it because it was the right thing to do. Hmm. And the right thing to do was to fight for racial equality, Hmm. you know. And that's where we have to get to. Um, I was, and I think I told you this on the front end, I had received an email from one of our members and we had a conversation. We actually met together today and at the end of the email There was a statement made by him that really got my attention.
3: Hmm.
1: And the statement was, Coach, sometimes we've just got to do something.
3: Hmm.
1: What a simple statement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's a statement of of being intentional. That's right. And that's really what it boils down to. Sometimes it's not about what's happened in the past. It's not about how we got here. We know we're here. The issue now is we got to do something. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I would like to see us get to. Yeah. That we, we 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 know there are issues. We 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 get that. We we talked about it, but now let's just do something. Yeah. And what do we do? We do the next right thing. It's good,
0: and and we do it. Like like I hate it that New Year's resolutions are called resolutions, right? Because it waters down that word, but the the word resolute. But in Luke nine, early in the chapter, it's like in Brown verse twenty or something. It says that Jesus at that time, resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. It's a powerful statement because you see at that moment, it all turned toward his death. Like, it, like In other words, he was fully aware, at least the way Luke's describing it, right? He, he decided, I'm not turning away from this. And I think that's what you're getting at. Like, we have to decide... Let's do something, even though we don't know what to do, even though we're really unsure about it or we're afraid about it or we're skeptical of it or we we wonder, is this gonna even matter? But let's do something like let's be resolute about it and then endure in it, like you said, you know paul you you mentioned um earlier that about the idea that there are some there are some black individuals that you've walked with in friendship and you've heard certain things from them right like i think i think that's what's so hard about this is you're going to hear it like you did when you in the integration you're going to hear it from all sides somebody maybe maybe you're white and you're listening to this and you're thinking or i'm going to i'm going to talk how i we've taught our children to talk all right we've told them maybe your skin's a little lighter right we've cuz when you're describing people we've tried to teach our kids you just describe them for who they are if you have to say it Because it just will immediately get someone to go, oh, I know you're talking about. Then comment about their skin. But other than that, don't even talk about it. Right? Like, understand that we're all one family. But but you may be listening to this, regardless of the color of your of your skin and the tone of it. And you're thinking, man, I do want to do something. And you do it, and then you hear the opposition from this person and that person, and then you even hear it from someone who's black who says well, why this or why that? Or they start questioning it. Talk about that real quickly, like what what you've heard.
2: Yeah. Well, it was, it was going to be my follow-up question uh, to you, Coach, uh, from, the, from the idea of trust. But then I, I think you, you hit it there with some key words. Genuine, um, authentic, care more about the other person's welfare than your own, that you are on their side and for them. So a lot of what I've heard is, one, um, why, like, like how is it a place for a white church who's in the quote oppressor class as we're thinking in terms of collectives this is the language yeah. uh, language of the day not my preferred but the way it goes uh, who are you to try to tell us how to reconcile with the assumption there that you're the problem i mean you caused the problem now you're going to try to tell me how to reconcile with you secondarily if you're one who hasn't experienced what i've experienced who are you to speak into it so I think you've laid some groundwork on how to make the initial steps there. We build trust through, well, I genuinely care about you. Um, that's why the Bible teaches me things. That's why. Uh, what else would you add to that on on why someone who who is passionate about this uh, but maybe feels like they don't have a place to speak towards it, uh, what should they do? What's
1: their basis? The first thing that comes to my mind is, Realizing that I helped create the problem. Mm -hmm. Or the vulnerability you talked about. Or if I did not help create the problem, I have at least assisted in the continuation of the problem.
3: Yeah.
1: Which means I have some responsibility in there still being a problem. Mm -hmm. So it then becomes my responsibility to come to you to help correct the problem not because I have all the answers, but because I want to try to help correct something or a problem that I have been a part of. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I offended you, so you don't have to come to me and, and say anything because I already know I offended you. Now it's up to me to go to you and say, Paul, I offended you and I really wanna make that right. Mm. That's not about having all the answers. Right. It's about correcting something yeah. that I've been a part of as a problem. Um, Thinking about this whole thing, I want to circle around it this way. Uh, I, I'm assuming that you know who John Thompson is. Yeah. The, the basketball coach at Georgetown. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot from John Thompson. And I remember back in the 90s when, when we were having some issues and we developed, we created what was called the Black Coaches Association, and we were trying to determine what can we do to help black coaches have a realistic chance to become head coaches at major schools. And we were talking about a boycott of CBS games. And there was just a lot of things going on. Somebody said, well, man, why would you boycott? What's the value in that? (laughs) Coach Thompson said something. And uh, from time to time, I still think about it. And I think you'll get the point. What he said was, we did not get to where we are because of rational thinking. Hmm.
3: Hmm.
1: And we won't solve the problem with rational thinking. Mm. Okay. That's, that's wise. Yeah. I mean, just, just really soak, yeah. so, soak that one in and, and think about it. You know, the way we were treated and the things that were happening was not because some people sat down and they just thought rationally, this is what we need to do. They had agendas, there were issues going on. Yeah. Okay. And, and because we were talking about the boycott, The other thing he said was really a smart fella. He looked at us one day and and we were talking. He says, just remember this. The threat of the boycott is always more powerful than the boycott itself. Mm -hmm. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. It's good. Um, I am. I was asked this week. It's amazing some of the things that people say to me from a very, very dear friend. And he was very serious. He said, Coach, I've just got to ask you one question. I said, what's that? He said, what made you go to a church where there are almost no blacks? Hmm. He said, why would you even do that in the first place? And uh, my response was pretty simple the Bible says it this way, that out of one man, God created all nations. Mm-hmm. And he determ- and He appointed the number of their days and the boundaries of their habitation. Mm-hmm. God has decided and determined not only how long we live, but where we live, and even the context in which we live, because he's all sovereign. And so... At this point in time in redemptive history, his decision has been for me to be here. Hmm. I may not fully understand why it's to be here, but he will make that known, and he will engage me in those things that I need to be engaged in here so that I will fulfill his purpose for me being here. Hmm. Because even as if we go back into Ephesians, we're going to start, I think, chapter 2, verse 11 this week, But if we go back, then um, it says that we were saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves is a gift of God, lest any man would boast. And then it says, for we are his workmanship, Mm -hmm. created unto Christ Jesus, unto good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in my mind, I am to go and be at the places where I can be involved in the good works that he prepared for me before the foundations of the world. Hmm. Now, I know a lot of people don't think about it that way, but that's the way I answer this question. Yeah. <laughs> and I answer it that way because I believe that this is where God sent me. Mm. So if this is where He sends me, this is where I'm supposed to be. It's good. Um, because there's a value and a purpose for me to be here that's probably far beyond anything that I could think of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um,
2: Always is. And I think my encouragement and challenge would be in light of everything you've talked about, are we willing to, um, so the resolute idea is sticking with me. Are we willing to ask for the Lord, for the spirit to move upon us in a way that we become resolute? Yeah. Maybe we're scared to find the gap. Maybe we're scared to go stand in it. Now, are we willing to simply ask Lord, would you give me a heart for that? Yeah. And then I'll follow you where you might go. Um, I think that could be a big first step for a lot of people.
1: So my question to you would be this. If we move that way, Hmm. and I'm talking about being resolute, how do you implement it? What does it look like when it's been implemented? I'm going to quote John Thompson here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's going to look irrational for us. No, man, I, I, think, I think we don't know yet. I think what you just said is uh, sort of the way the Bible unfolds. It's progressive revelation, that you learn it as you go. Mike Glenn likes to say the Lord doesn't always give you step two, three, four, five until we do step one faithfully. And maybe it's a case where it's going to become clear as we submit our hearts, as we admit our role in these things. The gaps are going to become apparent, then maybe we can have the courage to step into those gaps to be authentic uh, towards others. I, mean, I think step one is: are we even willing to want it? Yeah. To let the Lord make us want it, or is even that too scary? Well, and I, yeah,
0: I agree completely. And I I think I'll I'll give a, a a a brief story of why I think what I'm about to suggest is so important, but. And I'll give that story after I make the suggestion. But I think I think to quote Michael Jackson, although I think right now culturally that's not necessarily a good thing to do. But uh, um, with all that's going on around that, but um, right, I I do have to start with the man in the mirror. But if I move past the cliche of that, um, if I move past whoever originally said that, right? If I move past the cliche. Of that to truly process what that means I, you hit it earlier I, I do have to understand that my pers- my understanding of how I see humanity and how God sees humanity how I see humanity may not be how God sees humanity I and and the sin in my own heart of wanting to look out for my own interest and conquer anyone else that doesn't right? Like that's the, that's the Genesis, that's the Eden issue. That's the issue from Genesis 3 is I'm not sure that somebody else is looking out for my own interest. I'm not sure, right? What the serpent got Eve to believe was, well, no, 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 no. He's not telling you everything, right? You won't die. Like he's really not out for your good, uh, you're going to have to take this into your own hands. And taking it into our own hands, we begin to then become so self-focused. Uh, it, so we don't have a vision for on earth as it is in heaven. We just have a vision for our life going well. And we have a vision for conquering anybody that stands in the way of our life going well. I mean, those ki- that kind of thinking, that kind of misunderstanding of what abundant life is, You know, like, like, like that, that's the big, if that never changes, none of this changes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were in 2007, I was pastoring in Orlando and, and um, we had a group of churches that were beginning to walk with each other as though we were more focused on his kingdom than our own little fiefdoms, if you will. And. Um, a guy that was pouring into us as a group, he asked this question. He said, "Um, so how many of you guys and your teams, your leadership teams, how many of you guys are going to start putting the interests of other churches above yourself, above your own church? Like is that, like in Philippians, was that an individualistic command or was that a, a command for the community of faith? And, and it it wrecked all of us. Like we all began to realize, I don't think first about the interest of other church families in our city. I just think about ours. And and I say that to say, from an individual perspective, we, we that's the that's one of the biggest shifts we've got to make, is that we care enough about Jesus's interests and the interest of others to say those people you're worth dying for doesn't matter what your color of skin is you you are invited into the family of God as my brother or sister no matter what the tone of our skin like 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 that whole mindset of God is actually looking out for our good I don't have to fight for it myself and I don't just have to fend for my own interests and I I know to me I probably would be accused of being a simpleton because I'm saying that, but I just think that's the that's the first step of implementation. This is, is em- embracing the biblical theology that we described in last episode, and beginning to actually see other
1: human beings that way. Jason, I was, <clears throat> you know, somewhere in scripture. Uh, I'm just going to say it that way. We we're told that the love of money. Is the sword of all kinds of evil, hmm. and the one thing that's happened here that we never talk about is how we got here. That's right. And we got here because this is nineteen. What is this? Nineteen? No, I'm sorry. This is two thousand nineteen.
0: Yeah, nineteen's right though. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so four hundred years ago the first slaves were brought to the United States. And slavery grew because of the value it had to the economic system. Hmm. That's right. And in order to justify it, and in order to keep blacks in a position to always be in that position, there were several things done. Hmm. And history tells us what a lot of those things were not allowing blacks to read, just a lot of different things to keep them in that position because of the need for their services yeah. and for the economic welfare of many people. That has not completely left us. No. And, and I want to say that because that has not completely left us, it still drives some people to not want to see yeah. A complete reconciliation of races. We would probably be surprised at the money that people still make from this whole situation. Yep. Yeah. That there are people that are gaining and benefiting economically because of all the struggles and problems that we see between races. See, I I'm sure that there are people
0: who would disagree with what I'm about to say, but I think I'm I am fairly convinced that a significant part of why Jesus told the, his followers, those men, that the world hated him right when he's when he's trying to comfort them in John 14 through 16 and he speaks of The world, I'm pretty convinced that a part of that is because he was proclaiming a kingdom in which there was only one king and nobody else got to be king. And thankfully that king is good and actually cares about your good and his name's Jesus. He was proclaiming that kind of world and that's why the world, and that's what you're getting at. Like the best metaphor, and I'm sure you know this or have heard this metaphor, but and I don't I don't know who originated this. Maybe you do, but the best I've ever heard to describe that um I actually heard a guy named uh Propaganda was a beat poet, uh hip hop artist. I heard him share this, but it's not original to him. He 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 said it was uh, he said who it was original to, but I'm forgetting who it was. But he gave a monopoly game metaphor. And 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 I think every metaphor breaks down, so I'm sure there's flaws to this metaphor but he said what what he said american culture right now what happened is a group of white people sat down and played monopoly and got all the pieces and all the all the all the all the, all the railroad pieces all the electricity and utilities all the streets and, and you know and all that and then got red houses i mean red hotels and greenhouses and loaded up each section and then invited black people to play that was the metaphor he gave. He said, now, nobody wants to hear that, but that's, that's reality. What are we going to do now to change that?
1: Along that line, I want to say, and I really believe this needs to be said, I believe that part of the problem we're having now as we try to work through this from a church standpoint is that the church is made up of many different people uh, all along the economic scale. And I think sometimes the church, rather than do what's right, Hmm. will try to protect itself financially by not offending people on the higher end of that scale. And that's a tragedy. Yeah. But I really believe that Um, that that's one of the things that we see happening and so because of fear um, of not maintaining some of the things that we've built up then the best thing to do is to just kind of play lip service Mm -hmm. we don't want to get too serious now because we get too serious then some of the some of the Some people may not be real excited about that. Yeah, and and it could wreck the system. (laughs) And it could wreck the system. (laughs) That's right. And the tragedy there is not being willing to just trust God. That if we do what's right, then He'll do what He said He'll do. Hmm. Because at the end of the day, whose responsibility is it to build the church?
0: That's right.
1: See, that's a whole other. That's a whole other conversation. Whole (laughs) other conversation, but. but, I just wanted to mention that because um well, that's just part of it, yeah, and and we got to work our way through all those things, so that's why that um uh, until there's a transformation of the heart, we continue to have the problem that we have at some point, the heart's got to be transformed, yeah. And man has to become what the scripture calls a a living sacrifice. You know, you sacrifice yourself, but even though you have the power because of life, you let yourself stay on the altar.
3: Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I, I, you know, we could go, we could keep going. I I, want to, we'll wrap here and we may keep processing on this and get and grab you again and get you back in here and, and continue the conversation cuz we i think it i think if we're honest we know um, that it's going to take a lot more than two sermons and two podcast episodes to affect the kind of shift that we were talking about and um i res i like you said paul i think that word resolute is probably what stands out and the way you translate, or the way that I would say you said that, was do something. Right? Like, I mean, I think, I think, I think the challenge I would give to, to our to our listeners is, let's beg God to help us be resolute about His purpose, and and no other purpose above His. And when I say that, let me be clear. I, I really believe that Jesus put on that God put on skin and came near to us, so that He could look humans in the eyes and say, "You are loved. I love you, and I'm good, and my good is for your good, and I, I, I you're worth dying for." And I think as I don't think this is a black, white, yellow, red issue. This is a every man, woman, and child. On this planet, getting the chance to believe the truth of that good news. And when that becomes our priority, then we begin to see people differently. We begin to realize that we ourselves are desperate for that news. And then how do we embody that news to someone else? Well, we do it by inviting them into our family and being family together. We do it by serving alongside each other, not just saying... I'm going to come serve you, but we serve alongside. We do it by beginning to act like we're brothers and sisters together and around meals and and over sad times and over victorious times. And, and, And we'll do that if we truly think that we've been freed from that system that we talked about, the broken system. We've been freed to love like Jesus loves us and and so I'll give you the last comment, and then I'll just say we're done. And we'll, we'll But last comment, any, any last thing you want to encourage I, <coughs> folks yeah, with?
1: I would want to encourage us to be like Christ in this respect. He died to himself that we might have life. Mm-hmm. And I think we're at a point where we have to die to ourselves yeah. so that we, others might have life. and uh, and have it abundantly not in the sense of eternal life even though that's our objective is to win men to Christ but at some point I've got to die to myself the things that I think are important the things that I would like to do so that I can look at someone else and do the things that are really good for them Mm. so I've got to give up a little bit of, of what I think I would like so that other people might be able to have some of the things that are really good for them it's good it's really good
0: well man thank you coach thanks for being on with us and i imagine we'll probably uh holler at you again soon um paul any
2: any last words before we wrap oh, it's always good stuff i mean i love the way you model and talk from scripture it's so encouraging
0: well, if you have any rants or raves or <laughs> affirmations or rebukes for us, as as we always say, you can email uh, Jay Dukes at BrentwoodBaptist dot com or P Wilkinson at BrentwoodBaptist dot com. Or if you have any questions, even about what you heard today, you are welcome to send those in, and um, we can do our best to get you uh, some thoughts on that. But um, Coach, thanks again for being with us, and and uh, man, our prayer, my prayer, as you just said, it is that we would we would seek to be one and to see uh, see what Jesus wants to see. So that's our hope. Thank you all for joining us.